0: Well, good morning, Parkview. It is good to be virtually with you today. My name's Thomas uh, Hoke, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's my joy uh, to preach to you this morning. Uh, And I spend most of my time here at Central Campus, and um, that's where I'm addressing you from. So uh, it's a great privilege still today, even though it's under some strange circumstances, to hear from God's Word. We're really going to hear from the Lord, who will speak to us this gracious and wonderful Word. I just I encourage you though uh, to make special sort of care. I know it's full of distraction. This time is sort of full of distractions, and to just sort of do what you can, get out your Bible and prepare. Let's let's really hear from the Lord. I think he has some some wonderful things to say to us today. Now. In the late 1950s, the Cold War was just starting to heat up. And there was a group of engineers who were hard at work trying to figure out a way uh, where they could preserve communication in the, in, the, in the event of some sort of interruption, some kind of attack. And successfully, they figured out a way where they could do that. They could uh, send these small messages between a network of, of electronic interconnected terminals. Why does that matter? Why is that? Why do we care about that? Well, every once in a while an idea comes about that is so significant, so revolutionary uh, that it completely changes the way that we think about and interact with our world. We can never go back to the way that it was before that and it actually, it pervades every part of our society so that it even comes into our own homes. In fact, the ultimate revolutions like this t- are, are evidenced by the fact that they actually come into our own homes. Technology like this changes our own households, our own workplaces. Of course, the revolution that I'm talking about is the internet, uh, and in fact, we're especially thankful for that revolution today because uh, there's no greater evidence of the fact that it was a true revolution than the fact that I am being beamed into your, onto your phone or your laptop or your TV or whatever you're doing today. Now, if that's the case, if if the true test of a revolution is that it eventually makes its way into our own homes, if that's true in the case of the internet, then how much more true is it true in the case of the gospel of Jesus? As we'll learn in our passage today, while the church is meant to be the place where the gospel is announced, heralded, displayed, illustrated, celebrated, the revolution of the gospel isn't complete until it makes its way into every area of our lives, especially in places like our home and our work. So, Parkview, I want you to hear today from Ephesians five fifteen through 6, 9, this. Make the gospel pattern of the church the pattern of your whole life. Make the gospel pattern of the church the pattern of your whole life. In this passage, God is going to show us what it means to be a church that is filled by his Holy Spirit. And then he's going to apply that same pattern that should be typified by the church and and apply it to our most significant relationships in our homes and in the workplace. And Parfia, I have to just have to be honest with you. As I've looked at these two passages that we're going to have on, on these two live stream services, I could not, if you had shown me the whole calendar and the list of passages we were going to preach throughout this whole year, I, I could not have picked two other passages to, to have been preached in this live stream format that would, would have been more applicable, more meaningful for us. Today, God wants to teach us what it looks like for the, for the gospel to come home from church to our homes. Could you pick something better than that? next week, we're going to talk about putting on the whole armor of God. I mean, come on. Uh, Just God is is here. God is with us. We're not going to be able to cover this whole text, but he has something wonderful to say to us through it. Let's spend some time praying now. Holy Father, we we do just, we thank you that you're with us. You promise to be with us. By the power of your Spirit, you are with us. You are connecting us you hear our voices connected with one another in worship today and with, with all Christians everywhere that are lifting up your voice and now hearing from your word, receiving from your word. We pray that we would be able to be undistracted in, in this time, to devote ourselves to hearing from you, clear our minds, clear away the cobwebs and, and the anxieties and the stresses of this week and help us to just hear and, and sit with our Father who loves us. Help me to be clear. Help us, help us to listen. We pray. All these things in your son's name for his glory. Amen. Now, the first thing that we learn from this passage uh, is in verses 15 through 21. And what we learn there is that the church is led by God's spirit. The church is led by God's spirit. We see this especially in verse 18 where it says, Do not be filled with wine. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Now, it's important to remember that this entire passage is meant to form us not only and maybe not even solely as individuals, but it's meant to speak to us and form us as a church, as a community of believers. And that should be no surprise to us because as we've worked our way through the book of Ephesians, it's been clear time and time again that Paul's biggest burden has been to communicate to us the absolute cosmic hugeness of the gospel of Jesus. He wants the Ephesians to know and God wants us to know and remember today that the gospel is not moral advice that makes us nice and honest people, primarily, nor is it sort of a made up story to deal with our sort of psychological and inner sense of guilt, no. The message of the gospel is the earth shattering power of God that brings the dead to life and creates an entirely new people, a new community. The church, a community that foreshadows the fact that God is making and one day will make all things new. The church is ground zero for God's plan to transform the entire world. So, with that in mind, that's just, that's our small calling for today. In our, as we sit in our bedrooms, maybe even in our pajamas, that's it, okay? Mm, no big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. Well, how can we walk in wisdom and make the best use of the time that we have together? Aligning our community life to God's will? Well, in response to that question, Paul uses this interesting sort of contrast between two ways to live. Two ways to live as a church. On the one hand, is, is two ways to be controlled, two ways to be filled. He, he says the first is to get drunk with wine. And the second is to be filled with the Spirit. Notice how he sort of uses two passive verbs. To be filled, you can be filled, or you can be filled. You can be controlled this way, or you can be controlled this way. You can live this way, or you can live this way. You can be led this way, or you can be led this way. Now, on the one hand, filled with wine, debauchery, or filled with the Spirit. Now I think it's pretty obvious which way we're meant to go. Be filled with the Spirit, right? Be filled with the Spirit. Um, But first, uh, I I wanna take a second and just say, let's just first take Paul's command here seriously. His exhortation is that Christians need to be incredibly cautious when it comes to the way that we interact with intoxicating substances, whether it's wine or something else. It's true. If, if you're here, you're listening to this, and you're thinking, you know, I, th- I wonder if that might be me. You know, I, I'm not sure I want to share with other people the, the way that I do that. Uh, I, I pray the Spirit brings conviction. You see the gospel anew. You see what Christ has called you to, and you're compelled by love to get help and to change. However, I I don't think Paul's primary purpose here is to warn warn the Ephesians and us today about the dangers of overconsumption, but rather to draw a contrast between these two ways of living, these two ways to be filled. See, being filled with wine, in in the language Paul is using here, represents the foolish way for a church to conduct itself. A a person filled with wine, under the influence of of wine or whatever it, it might be, is is easily influenced, easy, easily swayed by every every new thing, and, and you've you've been around people probably who are like this. Um, if they get a little push in one direction, tend to go that way. Uh, you you can't sign legal documents when you're when you're in that condition because you can't really consent for yourself. You can't really speak for yourself. You're not sober minded and under the control of your own faculties. Now. That's the image Paul has for one way for a church to live. And I think it is, it is not at all hard for us to imagine what it would look like for us as a church right now to be characterized by that kind of living. Easily influenced by every, every new societal tendency, every, every new... For us to, to have the same hubris as the world around, to have the same exact fears, as the world around us, to, to form the same habits as the world around us at this point in time. What would it, you know, to, to have an attitude of consistent fear, to be, for us to be sort of hunting for someone to blame for this problem. You know, to, to sort of be dividing the world into those who are helping solve this problem and those who are not helping and looking and hunting for fu- someone whose fault this is and developing sort of hardened and self-protective hearts. That's what it would look like for us to follow that way right now. But, There is another way, and it is beautiful, and it is wonderful, and we can do it. Paul contrasts that being filled with wine with being filled with the Spirit to be a church that is filled and therefore controlled by God's Spirit. Now, Most of us know what it looks like and sort of what are the symptoms and signs of someone who's under the influence of alcohol. Well, what does it look like and what are sort of the signs and symptoms of a church that is under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Well, the same power that called the world into existence now dwells in you today, in your bedroom, in your pajamas, wherever you are. What does that look like? Well, Paul has a great answer for us. And he gives us three indicators, three signs, three marks of what it looks like for us as a church, whether we're gathered in twos and threes and fives (laughs) or scattered throughout in our professions and whatever we're doing of what it looks like for us. And those three indicators are First, heartfelt worship Second, gratitude And third, mutual submission I'm going to work, work our, our way through each of these uh, First indicator that we are a church filled with And led by the Holy Spirit Is seen in verse 19 And it says this Be filled with the Spirit Addressing one another In psalms and hymns And spiritual songs Making melody in your hearts to God Heartfelt worship is the first indicator that we are a church that is filled with and led by God's Holy Spirit. If you want to see a church revived and filled and led by God's Spirit, if you wanna take the spiritual temperature of a church, you should not first look at their budget, their attendance, live stream views, their, the talent of their staff, the quality of their facilities, no. If you want to know, the first thing you should do is listen to them sing. This feels like a funny one to say today because here our voices are all sort of scattered all over, but it is a true nonetheless. One of the main indicators of our health as a church and, of course, our individual health as a person, as a, as a follower of Christ, is in the quality of our worship. Now, I'm not here, I'm not talking about singing out of tune, I'm not talking about singing out of key. I'm not talking about knowing the words. I'm not talking about lifting your hands and singing as loud as possible. No. Hearts that are transformed by the gospel will express themselves in heartfelt worship. We will sing and love and and lift our hands up to whatever we think will deliver us. Worship is inevitable. And when our hearts are transformed by the gospel, worshiping Christ, whatever that looks like, some days it might look like not much as other days, but uh, it will inevitably produce heartfelt worship uh, the only example i think to, i need to give of this is if you have ever gone to kinnick stadium if you've ever gone to carver hawkeye arena you know we no one there has to say hey i can't hear you i wish you'd sing a little louder hey don't you know the words don't you know the words does anyone remember actu- having to actually learn the iowa fight song words no you just you become absorbed in them the community teaches you them they teach you here you raise your hands during this part you cheer you clap you know, no one's no one's sort of encouraging you everyone knows no no visitor to any of those places uh, in iowa city wonders how do we feel about the hawks they know we we love them right we we're invested in what happens here what do you think people would think if they came into your home into into our worship service uh on a normal sunday what would they think, we think, about the God of heaven? Do you come to Sunday, on, on Sunday, I guess, maybe not today, but I think today too, with this kind of mindset? That the main thing, it's not about the music, the song selection, are we singing in key, those kinds, but the, the simple fact that the gathered redeemed are united in worship to the king who has, been, who has died, resurrected, and is seated on the throne in the heavenlies. Is that enough to make your heart sing? Are you you leading your heart toward that place when it's not there? That is the first sign, the first indicator that we are being led by and filled by God's Holy Spirit as a church. Whether we are abiding and and building that kind of of attitude, of heartfelt worship. The second indicator that we're a church filled by and led by the Holy Spirit is seen in verse 20. It says, but be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We would be marked by incredible gratitude. To be filled by the Holy Spirit means it would be marked by radical, deep gratitude. Can I just read that again? Because I think it would be easy to miss what he just said. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, giving thanks always and for everything— to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is gospel shaped gratitude. Have you ever noticed how easy it is, uh, probably at these times more than others, but to focus on how things aren't going the way that I want? To, to, to find yourself naturally meditating, not on the things that have been good in my life and the blessings I've received, but on the things that are really not going out. I'd really like it to be this way, not that way. And, you know, I not, not naturally drawn to meditate on, on the wonderful things, but on the things that I don't have. And I don't know about you, but I know that at the heart of my entitlement in that realm is the belief that I really deserve better. My life should be better than it is. It should be glorious. It should be wonderful. Why is it not that way? But that, Parkview, is simply not the Christian way. Now in about a month it's going to be tax time, sorry if I'm adding to your stress right now but it's, I need it for my illustration. So uh, in about a month it's tax time and probably many of you have already sort of sat down or you've had your tax professional person uh, figuring out the calculations and, and uh, I want you to imagine that you've sat down, you've done the calculations and you've realized this is going to be great and just like all of us are sort of wondering are we going to be in the red or the black here, am I going to be getting a check or a bill? Uh, you figured out, hey, I'm not just getting an, a little check. This is going to be almost life-changing money. I, I'm going to get a huge check from the IRS, and i what should I do? Should I go on vacation? I could, just, I could pay my mortgage for the next six or eight months. I can, I've, I've got big potential. Uh, I've, uh, you're excited, okay? You're thinking about it. You're, you're so overjoyed by what happens. But then April 19th comes around, and you get the, a letter from the IRS, and it says, we're sorry to say, you owe us $10. Ugh. What? You had these dreams and they're shattered. And you, and you thought this is what's going to be my future. And it, oh, it's ruined. You'd be pretty upset. Now, uh, imagine just the opposite. You had sat down, you know, in these next couple of weeks and you realized, you know what? I've made a huge mistake. Uh, I, I messed up with the way that I managed my money this, this year. And in fact, I'm not expecting a, a check from the IRS. I'm expecting a bill that is going to set our family back years and years. I think we're going to lose our house over this. I th- We're going to have to go into incredible debt. And I don't know how we're going to survive through this. And then that same letter comes. We're sorry to tell you, you owe $10. How would you respond to that? Well, you'd be overjoyed. Oh, that's wonderful news. That's great. What a difference it makes when we have set our expectations appropriately. Because spiritually speaking, we are much more like the second person in that scenario, right? Uh, We don't just owe enough to God that we might lose our house. Uh, We owe so much to God that we would lose our lives. What kind of gratitude should be produced from hearts that realize how much we have been forgiven? How much should that transform our day-to-day living to realize that what I deserve is not joy and glory forever. It's, it's death and separation and misery. But what God has given me, therefore, everything is grace. Everything. It's a cherry on top of what I already have in Christ. And so, a church that is filled with and led by God's Holy Spirit will be marked by deep, heartfelt gratitude to the Lord. What a beautiful community that is to live in where everyone is talking about and rejoicing in the wonderful things that God has done, realizing when things are bad, that God is, is still there, he's still at work, he's still with us, but overjoyed by the fact that we have give, been given so much more than we ever deserved. And that's the second indicator that we're a church filled and led by the Spirit. And the third and final indicator that we're a church filled and led by the Holy Spirit is that we embrace the gospel pattern of mutual submission. We embrace the gospel pattern of mutual submission. And we see this uh, in verse 21. Uh, Paul said, be filled by the Spirit, and in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, one of the inevitable consequences of of the sin that dwells in each of our hearts is that rather than loving and serving and, and looking outside of ourselves to bless our neighbors as ourselves, we we tend to be, and especially if we're apart from Christ, we, we tend to be ultimately motivated by self-concern, self-love, self-interest. But when the Holy Spirit fills us and unites us to Jesus by faith and every spiritual blessing becomes ours in Christ, as we learned in Ephesians 1, we are freed. We, we no longer have to look out for number one. We no longer have to think, look, if, if I don't care, take care of my needs, who's going to do it? If I don't make sure that I control my future and make sure everything goes so that I survive, who's going to do it? No one's going to do it. Either I look out for myself or I thrive. No longer are we characterized by that kind of mindset, even in the most subtle ways. The gospel says that Jesus has given up everything so that the Father can be fundamentally oriented to your good. The one who controls everything, if you belong to Jesus, the one who controls everything sits enthroned above the heavens and is manipulating every circumstance for your ultimate good. How freed can you be then to serve your neighbor, to love, to to say, no, I don't need to be anxious because I know the Lord is with me. I know. Here's the message that he says, seek first God's kingdom and its righteousness and everything else in your life is going to just fall into place. Just just watch and it will happen. When a church is really and truly operating on this principle of submitting to the needs, to to the care of others, seeing them flourish, seeing them survive and thrive, when a church is really operating on that principle, it is a beautiful sight to behold. It is a beautiful sight to behold. Rather than sort of operating in a way that sort of asks everyone to sort of orbit around my desires, make sure I'm taken care of, and make sure my needs are met, It's a beautiful ballroom dance where each person knows the other's role, their strengths, their weaknesses, and every step that they take is taken with the goal of helping the other thrive, helping the other highlight their strengths and minimize their shortcomings. It is a beautiful thing to behold. And when we're filled by God's Spirit, that's exactly what we'll do. And you'll notice an interesting thing here, and this is, this is where we transition from seeing, here's what the church is typified by, that kind of new gospel pattern, right? That heartfelt worship, which can happen even in our, in our homes today, that heartfelt worship, incredible, radical gratitude, and also this principle of mutual submission. But we see what Paul does is that immediately, going from verse 21 to verse 22, they're connected. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, and then immediately, wives submitting to your own husbands. What he does is he, he connects the principles that are at work in the church and that should typify our, our church life together And he takes them directly into our home life Into our life as parents if you're a parent uh, Or if you're a child, which that covers everyone Or uh, as, as a worker in, in chapter 6 Now what's happening there Is this part view, God wants us to take the gospel home Could you think of a better message for us today? Wow. Make your home as focused on Jesus as the church ought to be. Hopefully is. Could there be a better passage for this strange week? Look, make your home a microcosm of the same principles that you see at work in the church. Make the gospel pattern of the church the pattern of your whole life. The gospel pattern changes everything, and, and I just want to roll through. We are not going to cover 522 nine in any, in any kind of the depth that it might deserve. I hope that you'll study on your own. I hope that in your community groups, you'll be able to, to visit that a little bit, but I think there are just a few things that the Lord would say to us through this word today uh, as it especially applies to our situation. So the first thing that we see is in 522-33 uh, through 33 is that the gospel transforms marriage. The gospel transforms marriage. Now, um, our marriages, according to this passage, should be a walking, talking, long-suffering, patient, loving, illustration, and apologetic for the gospel of Jesus. Wives do this by empowering, responding to their husband's leadership, and husbands do this by lovingly and sacrificially loving and leading their families. According to the Bible, husband and wife are... CEO and president of their families, which are meant to be a microcosm of the church. What does this look like right now? Well, parents at this time, unite your family around the presence of God's spirit. Show your children what it looks like to have peace and hope during this time. You know, in 50 years, someone is going to ask your children what was it like to live through that time when when this you know disease was coming and and everyone was afraid what was it like and i don't know about you but what i want to hear my son say is something like this i know things were hard but i looked at my parents in the way that they loved each other and the way that they supported each other and i knew that things were going to be okay bring the gospel into your marriage and and this will happen. You can cultivate a heart attitude that that shows just that and set the pace for your family starting today. They're looking to you. Second thing that we see is that the gospel transforms parenting. We see that in 6, 1 through 4. And I think the thing we need to hear from that today is this. Children, you can honor God and you will be blessed by God when you obey your parents during this time. Listening to them, asking what they want you to do, and doing it whether you are five or 15, this is the case, and this is true today. If you're older than that, uh, you're, you're still a child of a, a living, especially an older parent. I think it's it's not incumbent upon you to obey your parents when you're outside of the home. However, uh, there is still a call to honor God by honoring your parents, and especially if you have older parents that you, you know, are, are not living with you. Uh, this is a situation that's more they're more vulnerable to. One of the ways you honor them is by checking in with them, seeing how they're doing, honor them in that way. But parents, uh, I think what we need to hear right now is that being shut up inside is hard. It's not fun. Uh, I don't know if you remember being a kid, indoor recess, didn't like it. Uh, they don't like it either. And, and I just encourage you to make this situation as easy as, make it easy, as easy as possible for them to obey. Make it as easy as possible for them to obey. Be as patient as you possibly can. And when things get hard, my encouragement to you is not to just sort of muster up the patience that you hope is there inside of you, but rather to lean into the patience that your Heavenly Father has had with you. Let the gospel be your inspiration and the power that you draw from through the Holy Spirit to to persist in those moments when it gets difficult, because it's going to be a challenge. And finally, I mean, have fun together make some new traditions, make some new things, find some new games, ask other parents, what are you doing to keep things going? I know our kids ministry has sent out some resources from Lifeway that can be a real help too. Finally, the gospel transforms work. See this in six, five through nine. Much more that could be said about this passage, but here's what we need to say today. First, Paul says in this passage that Christian workers don't primarily work for a paycheck or to ascend the corporate ladder or to hear a boy from their boss. Christian workers work to please Jesus. They work as if working for Christ. And they do it from the heart. And so when you go to work tomorrow, or you log on to work tomorrow, uh, our attitude, your attitude as a Christian should be this. How would I do this day differently if I knew at the end of it, Christ himself would ask me how I did? Second, Paul says Christian bosses are to treat their employees as if Christ himself is their employee who's working for them. Long story short, in these days, probably more than any others, this should be a time when every single person should want to employ Christians and should want to be employed by a Christian. Within the bounds of wisdom, I call you to do everything you can, especially in your vocation, to love your neighbor as yourself. When the gospel comes into our hearts and changes us by grace, every single part of us is made new. Let's, part few, let, let us make the revolution complete. As Paul called the church to, to embrace the gospel as a community, a believing community, worship, have gratitude and love for one another, then let's bring the gospel home. Make the revolution complete. Bring it into our own homes and bleed it out into the community. Let's, let's serve and love this community in the way that Christ would in wisdom, in love for our neighbors. Let's make this revelation complete. Let's, let's bring its full weight to bear on every aspect of our lives. Let's bring the gospel home. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you that you did not wait around for us to, to figure it out, uh, to, to do it on our own and, and to pull ourselves up, but that you invaded by your spirit connected us to your perfect son so that now when you look at us both individually and as a community you don't see what we have done but you, you see your perfect son and so of course you are, you are for us you are with us always you are with us now through this you will be with us through whatever comes pray that you would fill us with your spirit to comfort us and also to call us to love and good deeds within wisdom to show the world that the gospel of grace is true, it is powerful, and it is beautiful. Do all this for your son's glory, we pray, amen.